At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Well, the world keeps on turning, but how fast does it go? And does that have anything to do with shooting? <laughs> and what's the difference between a silencer, a suppressor, and a muffler? We're going to find out the answers to those questions and many more on this episode of Ron Spomer Outdoors Podcast. Hello, everyone. Ron Spomer here, and I have been responding to uh, a friend, Mike, on our Patreon community. And he said, Hey, I think you've got to banish 30. What does he mean by that? Well, we've been talking about suppressors, which are the same thing as so called silencers, which are the same thing as gun mufflers. <laughs> gun mufflers, that's interesting, but it's really what they are. The same man who created the muffler for automobiles. Hiram Maxim made one for firearms. If you're going to stop the noise of a, of a car, uh, the explosions of its cylinders, you might as well do it for guns and save your hearing. Well, unfortunately, what happened in the 1930s during the uh, National Firearms Control Act, when they sort of made it difficult to get sawed-off shotguns and Tommy guns and that sort of thing, Somebody wanted to throw handguns into that mix, and during the wrangling in Congress, someone else offered silencers instead. So handguns stayed off the list, and <laughs> silencers got put on it, which was really silly, because a silencer does not silence the gun. It just knocks some of the sound off so that it's hearing safe. And that's what Mike and I were talking about. So Mike says, I believe you have the Banish 30. That's a brand name of a silencer central um, can or muffler or suppressor or silencer. Call it what you'd like. And Mike continues, I intend to use mine on a 270 or a 300 wind mag for deer in South Carolina, elk in Wyoming, and plains game in Africa. Do you recommend the Banish 30? Any experience with the Banish backcountry? Does the Banish 30 offer any benefits over more reasonably priced suppressors that are not all titanium? I was not able to find much information on choosing a suppressor on YouTube and my blogs. So thanks and hope you have a successful hunting season. I wrote back, hey Mike, turns out that I do have the backcountry model, not the Banish 30. And the backcountry weighs 7.5 ounces, is only 5 inches long. It's lightweight and wonderful. I no longer have to fish for my hearing protection when a quick shot opportunity arises. I took an Oryx the other day with it, and I am sold. 
Now, titanium is lighter and it lasts longer than other steel. So uh, it doesn't really even have to be clean. That really surprised me. But if you want to, you can pour solvent into the can and let it sit to dissolve the carbon and then pour it out. And that's it. A 30 caliber can, this uh, one that I have, the backcountry, that particular unit fits everything up through 30 caliber. So you can start with it on your 17s, your 22s, your 24s, 25s, 26s, 27s, 28s, and 30s. I'm really excited about this device. And Silencer Central makes getting one really simple because they do all the complicated government paperwork for you. So, hey, I'm hoping Mike gets himself one and enjoys it as much as I do. It's really a fun little tool. I just love the fact that I've got that that sound suppressor on the end of the barrel, and the result is hearing safe blasts from my rifle, not those really loud ear-ringing ones. It's still wise, I think, on the shooting range when you're working with rifles. Even though you have a suppressor on it, it doesn't hurt to also have your ear protection. I mean, the more the better. You don't want to mess around with damaging your hearing. All right, let's see. Darren asks this. You might want to correct the math on this one, Ron. The Earth is spinning at just over 1,000 miles per hour. The circumference at the equator is a little over 24,000 miles, and that's why it takes 24 hours for one complete revolution. Good explanation, though. We were talking about Coriolis' suspect on that one. And then a similar one here from someone called Freedom Lover. Earth is spinning at roughly just over 1,000 miles per hour at the equator, my friend, not 24,000. That's why they're writing me. I had misspoke and said 24,000. I wanted meant to say 1,000 miles an hour and 24,000 miles around the equator. And I fumbled it up. The Earth is 25,000 miles around at the equator. That's 25,000 miles in 24 hours, hence just over 1,000 miles per hour at the equator. As you near the poles, it'll get slower and slower, and that's the critical factor. That's what's going on with this Coriolis effect. My response to uh, Freedom Lover was, yeah, I know, Freedom Lover. I meant to say 1,000 miles an hour, but the old brain kicked out the circumference instead. <laughs> so that's why I always say, folks, Listen to what I say, weigh it, and then against your knowledge and other information, just make sure I'm saying it right. It's so easy to screw things up and misspeak. I ought to be a politician. I'm so good at being a misspoken person these days. <laughs> All right, here's someone named Joe. He says, I love the rain findings, but what about angle up or down because that happens more than rain? He is referencing a blog or a video I did on. What happens in humidity when you're when it's raining? Will your bullet shoot higher or lower? I discussed that, and he's saying, yeah, it doesn't really make much of a difference. And he's right, even though it makes the air a little thinner and your bullets hit a little higher. It's so minimal, it's really hard to measure. So don't be concerned about rain. But he's right on this angled up and down. What happens when you're shooting at a steep angle downhill or uphill? That's what he's interested in. I responded to him and said, hey, angled shots, whether they're up or down, always result in higher hits due to the altered angle at which gravity pulls the bullet. So if you're shooting horizontally, bullet pulls just like this, that's maximum. But if you go like that, shooting uphill at an angle, as you can see, it's pulling not straight down on that bullet, but more of an angle. That changes how the bullet lands. It's complicated stuff, but the upshot is up or down, it's always going to hit higher. So I continued, the steeper the angle and the longer the distance of the target, the higher the trajectory. 
A ballistics calculator will do the math for you. In general, don't worry about it until the distance is 250 yards or more and the angle 20 degrees or more. We tend to overestimate slopes. Truly steep slopes are rare even in mountain goat hunting. A 20-degree slope feels or looks like it's 40 degrees to most of us. To be safe, on what you assume is a steep shot at 200 yards or more, just aim on the lower part of your target, on the lower chest or shoulder, but not completely off of it. Better yet, build those trajectory tables for various angles and then memorize those. And that's about the simplest way I can explain it. If you really want to get into it, just Google it, start diving into angled shooting. It's pretty interesting stuff. Okay, I think I'm going to switch over here to the surprise questions that the team has pulled up here. All right, now we're going to go to South Africa. Someone named Tarek. Hi, Ron. I'm a big fan of the content you put out. Thanks for it. Well, thanks to you, Tarek, for appreciating it and listening and watching. Appreciate that. Have you stopped putting the podcast out in the audio-only format? I see that it's uploaded on YouTube, but I'm missing it on my commute. Thanks so much. Yeah, it's still out there. We, we put it out on, uh, I forgot exactly what, but it should be on, on most of the podcatchers, Spotify and Apple and wherever they are. So look forward. It should be on there. Ron Spomer Outdoor. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, Go to mintmobile.com slash waypoint. That's mintmobile.com slash waypoint. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash waypoint. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, which is the one I like, and Keto. Get started today and get after your goals. Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are are ready to heat and eat so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash waypointpod50 and use the code waypointpod50 to get 50% off. That's waypointpod50 at factormeals.com slash waypointpod50 to get 50% off. Where's podcast? Kobe in New Mexico. What, if any, are the downsides of a high twist rate barrel? For example, 120 grain 270 Winchester in a one in eight twist barrel. I know that high twist rates are required for long, heavy, high BC bullets, but do problems arise when firing traditional lighter bullets from a high twist barrel? Why weren't barrels all just twisted one and eight from the get-go? <laughs> Yeah, there's just continuing to be concerns about twist rates, and they're really largely overblown. Basically, 
Don't worry about it. If the factory ammunition and a factory rifle, they ought to match up because the factories are not loading ammunition that won't stabilize in your rifle, by and large. Now, there are starting to be some exceptions because of these new high BC bullets and barrels in the new guns. But for example, the 6.8 Western, it's a 270, but it's the 270 WSM case shortened just a little bit so it has more headroom for a longer bullet that will fit into the chamber and then the throat and the barrel so they can shoot those 170, 175 grain bullets, real long, high BCs, and they need a faster twist rate for those. But they're not currently loading those same 270 bullets in the old 270 Winchester, which is why I say you really don't have to worry about it. The guns and the ammo should match up. But everyone's really getting concerned about it because they hear that if your bullet is light and short, like this gentleman is asking about, something's going to go wrong. The only honest things that I found will happen is that a extremely frangible, lightly jacketed bullet spinning at that high rate can blow apart or be torn in the rifling. Uh, and then the bullet look obviously loses all of its integrity and can't get downrange with any kind of accuracy if it gets downrange in one piece at all. Some of them spin completely apart. And then the other thing is you don't get maximum accuracy, and we're talking target grade accuracy, with a really short light bullet in a faster twist. Target shooters are going to get the twist that's perfect for their particular bullet. And they're usually shooting some fairly long bullets, but Bench rest 100-yard shooters who are trying to put every bullet through the same hole, they will generally use a fairly short and light bullet with a flat base. They're not really interested in high ballistics coefficients because they're always shooting at the same distance at the same target. They want maximum accuracy within a fraction of a fraction of an inch, and that's where they're concerned about too much twist rate. But in general, standard twist rates, standard bullets, don't worry about it. All right, Andre from Deutschland. Germany says, hello, Ron. I recently got into hunting and I'm watching your podcasts every evening. I live in Germany, so I will have to go through the hunting school and pass three exams before I can get my hunting permit. And that will most likely take a few months to complete. My question is, could you recommend a rifle? Nobody from my family or friends is a hunter. And the one who got me into hunting is, as unusual as it may seem, you with your podcast and blogs. Well, that's pretty cute. I'm glad to hear that, Andre, that I've influenced you. You know, who's really responsible for this is you. I sort of maybe introduced you to it all, but it's some inherent urge within you. The same that I found in me. My family didn't hunt either. I had some cousins and uncles who did, but my dad and mom didn't. In fact, my mom was afraid of guns and didn't want us to have anything to do with them. And my brother and I both became hunters. But it's because once we were exposed to it, the excitement of being outdoors and discovering nature, the flush of a pheasant and the bound of a deer and all the mystery and magic, man, that's what really attracts us. And there's just something about the human animal that wants to, wants to grab that stuff, just like picking wildflowers or bringing home autumn leaves and pressing them in a book or even gardening, just anything that has to do with nature and being a part of it is so attractive to us. So that's where your real incentive is. At any rate, he continues. Therefore, buying the rifle that you recommend as my first rifle will make that particular gun special. 
No restrictions on price and caliber, but I would be grateful if you didn't recommend a double 470 Nitro Express since I would have a very little use for it here in Germany. Thank you for your amazing podcasts and great ballistic information. Have a great day, Andre. P.S. Is it weird to start exploring this world at 38? I feel like most hunters started when they were kids. Well, Andre, it is a little bit different to start older, but you're certainly not the first. Um, I have a son-in-law who is in his mid-30s when he got interested in hunting, and it took pretty hard. Once you get the bug, it seems to really, really get you. So you've got plenty of time yet to indulge. And at this stage in your life, you've got the money to get the right equipment and everything else. I mean, when we were kids, we had a limp by with whatever we could scrounge up. I borrowed grandpa's single shot break action 410 to start hunting with. And then I saved my paper out money and working in my dad's butcher shop and bought a 22 rim fire. And then I moved up to a pump 12 gauge and I just clawed my way on up and learned a lot as I went. So you can now learn much more quickly with all the resources that you have at your disposal. Here's what I would recommend for a rifle. Something in that classic seven millimeter to 30 caliber realm. So think 757 Mauser, a little more power than that, not much less, so that's just about right. Or jump into the 30s and then you're looking at the 30-06 over in Germany. Of course, you've got your 857 Mauser, um, the IS with the 0.323 inch diameter bullet. That might be real common over there. It certainly can handle anything you want to probably take in Germany as well as most of Africa. Oh, pretty similar to the 30 6 and what it can do. If you're looking for a little less recoil, stick with those 7s or even the 6.5s. I mean, you're going to be looking at what um, roe deer and feral hogs, or not feral hogs in Germany, you've got the real thing. Uh, so you've got your um, mm, red stag. You're probably looking, they're not as big as elk, but pretty good size animal. Yeah, 6.5 would do you really well. So you've got in Europe, Quite a few 6.5s. I think probably the 6.5 by 55 Swede is the most famous, but it might be a little behind times now. And I hear a lot of folks over there are using the 30 out 6 and the 308, and you certainly can't go wrong with those. I would get a bold action rifle. I, I know over there, a lot of folks like things with changeable, interchangeable barrels. So if you got something like uh, a Blazer or what, what else has interchangeable Saco, most of the European rifle makers will have swap out barrel systems. You might want to look into those because then as you really get into this and you want a lighter option or a heavier option, you can just buy the barrel rather than the entire rifle and you'll be ready to roll. But yeah, middle of the road, 30 out 6, 270, 308, 757 miles or something like that should serve you pretty well. Um, I tend to go for the lighter weights just because they're handier in the woods. But if you figure you're going to mostly be stand hunting, really doesn't matter. I do a lot of hiking and walking and climbing, so I want a rifle that's easy to carry and quick to handle. I don't want the barrel too long. I don't want the thing to weigh too much and be too slow to move around. So consider things like that and keep doing research. You may find something that appeals to you a little differently from what I've just recommended. Hey, thanks for that nice letter, Andre. Ziba in New York. I think we've heard from Ziba before. That sure sounds familiar. Hi, Ron. It's me again. There you go. <laughs> I think I finally decided what to do, but I had another question. Long barrels on a 30-06. All the research that I find seems to show that a barrel around 26 
to 28 inches will get the 30-06 up to 300 wind mag speeds. Could you compare a 30-06 with a 190 grain bullet like you did before, but this time in a 26 to 28 inch barrel with a 300 Winchester Magnum with the same bullet for long range shooting, it seems perfect. Well, you're onto something here, Ziba, but what you're neglecting is that if you put the same 26 to 28 inch barrel on a 300 Win Mag, you're right back to the same comparison you had with the shorter barrels. Um, either one of those cartridges will increase their ballistics uh, because of the muzzle velocity being increased. So you really don't gain much. But if you're just saying, well, I know what the 300 Win Mag does with the 24-inch barrel. I want my 30-06 to come close to that by just using a longer barrel. Yeah, without having the actual rifle here to test, I'd say you're going to probably come within 150 feet per second to maybe 200 feet per second behind the 300 Win Mag. Uh, so it's a definite improvement, but it's not going to match up with the 300 Win Mag. It, that one just has a bigger advantage from the get-go. Um, but, you know, for longer-range shooting, what are the things you really need? You need to maintain sufficient energy for the game you're taking out there at whatever distance, um, and you need to be able to compensate for the drops and to a degree the wind deflection. And, of course, you can do that with your 30 out 6 You just memorize your trajectory tables. You have to hold a little bit higher, but if you're using a turret dialing system or a ballistic reticle with aiming points for distances and you know those distances, you just use the right aiming point or dial to the right spot on your scope, and you'll drop it in there. So that doesn't really matter all that much. Because of the increased velocity from the 300, you will have a little more energy at farther distances. So you might have a... Hmm, 25 to 30 yard advantage with a 300, even against the 28 inch barrel on the 30 out six. The problem with that long barrel, of course, is the long barrel. Not a lot of us enjoy maneuvering a rifle with a barrel that long. You, you start with, say, a, a rifle is generally around 42 to 44 inches long with standard barrel lengths, and you start adding two to four inches more on that thing, and it starts to get cumbersome. Uh, in and out of vehicles, uh, rifle cases don't seem to fit. You have to get an extra long one. And in the woods, you're banging against trees. If you have it over your shoulder, slung, and you're walking, it'll hit trees up on top. Even in mountain country, when I'm walk walking along cliff sides and whatnot, I've had my barrel strike the rocks and things because it sticks up too high. So there are advantages to shorter barrels. If you just want to set up a rifle for extreme range shooting, then by all means, go for it. And you will appreciate the uh, slight advantage in velocity increase. Oh, that's awesome. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 6 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment. With that. All right, from Pennsylvania comes someone calling himself Mr. Martin. Hi, Ron. My question is about the new 8.6 Blackout. I'm very interested in building a bolt-action rifle chambered in it. I went to the Great American Outdoor Show, and I spoke with the barrel maker for E.R. Shaw, and he advised me to get a 338 Federal instead so I could shoot faster, and he assured me that he could make it with a 1 and 3 twist. My question is, what action would you recommend for an easy swap if I did it myself? Well, what action work? You know, swapping out bold actions in this country means screwing them in with very few exceptions. Now, Shaw 
the very barrel people you're talking about, they had a system with one of their rifles. They would start with the Savage bolt action, 110, 116, whatever size it was. And they'd rig it up with a wrench so that you could take your barrels off and change them. So you might want to ask them if they still offer that. And then there are custom gun makers who will sometimes fit the barrel with, uh, without threading it, or maybe they thread it, but they have a pin in it. And when you reach that position, you've got just the right headspace, and then you lock it down with a set screw. I shot one of those years ago, and it seemed to retain accuracy pretty well. And I could swap between a 7mm 08 barrel, and I think we had a 358 Winchester barrel on that. So there's an option there, but I've never seen one from a factory like that. Now, I think it is Saco that offers um, some switch barrel systems in this country on some of their rifles. So you might want to look at that. Um, but I do like what Shaw said about the 338. I mean, the, the appeal of the 8.6 Blackout is that it's an extremely small short cartridge that works in ARs. And that's why they kind of made it to fit that. With a bold action rifle, you don't need it to be that short. Standard short actions, you can go to a a mini action from Hawa, which is even shorter than a short action, but that would even be longer than you need for an 8.6 blackout. But you might want to look into that. Check out Hawa, H-O-W-A. They're out in Reno, Nevada. Legacy Sports International imports a great firearm, extremely uh, accurate, well-built. You might want to check that out, see if you can get that one and would fit with an 8.6. I don't know. You're still going to have to worry about that swap barrel system. But uh, that's about what I can re recommend for you, Mr. Martin. So good luck with it. Um, now we're going to go to Missouri and Tyler. Could you do a review on what competes with the 300 WSM out to say about 700 yards? I'm having a hard time finding a caliber that is better than it for mid-sized game. Nothing wrong with the 300 WSM, but what, what really beats it? It has flatter trajectory than the 338 Lapua, the 300 PRC, but they have more energy due to bullet weights. Ah, yeah, I'm not so sure if the 300 WSM beats the 300 PRC um, and the 338 Lapua. You're in a whole nother class with that big thing. That's the 416 Rigby Magnum neck down. <laughs> That's a big boy. But the bullet weights, yeah, it's... See, the 300 PRC is set up to optimize the really long, heavy, high BC bullets. And that, of course, improves its performance by minimizing wind deflection and retaining more energy downrange. I just really don't think you need to worry about this 300 WSM out to, say, 700 yards. I mean, I think that's longer than we should be shooting at game anyway. I realize there are people who do it. And if you're going to be one of them, I think you'll do just fine with your 300 WSM with bullets that it can handle in a faster twist. But I don't know that you need a faster twist. As I recall, the 300 WSM has a 1 in 10 twist. That'll stabilize up to a 230 grain bullet. But I don't know how effectively that short case would handle a long bullet like that either. Um, I would go with a 190 grain bullet like the, the Nosler 190 grain Acubon long range or Acubon, yeah. That's it. Acubon Long Range, ABLR. That has a real high BC, and you should drive that plenty fast with that 300 WSM. I don't think you'll have any trouble reaching 700 yards with plenty of energy left in that bullet. Run some ballistic calculations on it and figure it all out. But, boy, competing against that 300 WSM with anything other than another 300 Magnum, like the 300 Weatherby Mag, but then you've got your full-length Magnum Action, 
Uh, you go to the 3378, you've got a huge rifle with a big, big action. Lots of recoil there. I just think you're probably right there with that 300 WSM. And the 300 PRC is a great op too. Okay. Good luck with that one, Tyler. Um, here's Christopher from Arizona. I'm hoping to hunt both moose and caribou. You're going to have to get out of Arizona. Oh, he does. He says, NBC. I'm hoping to hunt moose and caribou in BC. I have just acquired a 7mm 08 and choice ammunition, 150 grain Barnes TTSX load at 2,715 feet per second. Is this adequate? Uh, yes, that is adequate. Um, I also have a 35 Wayland single shot, huh? The 708 weighs only seven pounds, one ounce and with the scope on it. Wow. And I will be 74 years old. <laughs> okay. Christopher, great for hanging in there and still hunting at 74. That is wonderful. Um, 708 at seven pounds, one ounce. Yeah. You didn't say what your Wayland single shot was weighing, but if weight the concern, go with the lighter one. Both of them are going to do the job. I have taken elk. And um, let's see if I take a moose with a seven. I've taken moose with lighter loads than even this 150 grain. And caribou, yeah. I mean, that's just like a, a big mule deer or a really small elk. So you're no problem there. Uh, yeah, your 150 grain TTSX is going to penetrate way deep on those, probably right through them. It is adequate. I'd like a, maybe a little more velocity out of it. I would think on a 708, you should be able to get 2,800 feet per second out of a 150 grain bullet. but if it's accurate, having a few more feet per second isn't as important as being really accurate. Uh, put that bullet in the right place and you're going to do well. I would personally, I'd run with that 708. Um, unless your 35 is as light or lighter. But nah, single shot at 74, you're, you're experienced. You know what to do to handle a single shot. Make that first shot count. And you don't need a whole bunch more. So yeah, I think you'll do just Fine with either one of them. My preference would be the 708. I, I just love sevens of all kinds. And that's uh, just another one of them. To me, it's like the modern version of the 757 Mauser with a little more pressure. So you can pick up about 100 feet per second more velocity. So there you go. That looks like all of the questions, guys. Um, I just wanted to say, now that I talked about the 708 and the 7 millimeters, stay tuned for my book on the 7 millimeters coming out here soon in about, oh, I'd say, early November should become available. I will let you know. And I want to thank all of you guys, our patrons like Mike and all of you who wrote in here on various blogs and podcasts, Tarek and uh, Andre and Kobe and Zeba again, and Mr. Martin and Tyler and Christopher. Thank you guys for those stimulating questions and uh, corrections as well. I'm out the speed of the earth. <laughs> She's going around a thousand miles an hour at the equator, 24,000 mile equator. That's why we have a 24 hour day, more or less. <laughs> All right, guys. Hey, I appreciate you listening to another podcast. You should be able to catch these on your usual podcast channels. You don't have to watch them on YouTube. So either way, we're just glad to have you. Um, and get out there and enjoy the hunting season. It is just kicking in here. I'm going to be elk hunting in a few days. Bird season is going to open soon. And the fall color is coming on. It's absolutely the most glorious time in the out of doors. I hope you get out as much as you can. Enjoy all of it. Until next time, this is Ron Spomer. Hunt honest and shoot straight.